Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. Welcome back, prom party. Hello. We, oh my God. Okay. I was going to try to be cute and be like, we have a really fun episode. And it's like, no, I can't even hide how excited I am about this movie. And I'm excited to tell the world that not only had Harmony not seen Ghost World, Harmony did not know who was in Ghost World. Harmony did not know what Ghost World was about. So this is like Freshie McFresherson from Freshville Eyes on this masterpiece. Yeah, like I was opening credits are going and I'm like, wow, David Cross and Pat Healy. Wow, Steve Buscemi. (laughs) And BJ goes, yes, he's the third main character. (laughs) It was, oh my God, such a delight. I mean, people should probably assume at this point that Ghost World is a very formative film for me just based on the person I am as a human being. I feel like that's a given. Um, So it's really exciting to have Harmony watch this movie for the first time. But even more exciting is that we are not alone in this discussion today. Joining us is comedian, DIY filmmaker, and the host of It's Always Halloween, a year-round Halloween history and storytelling podcast, Luce Tomlin-Brenner. Hi! Hello, and I love to hear how formative it was for you because it super was for me as well. And you guys, I don't know if you know this, this is my all-time favorite movie, number one, always on my letterbox top, no matter what. I love that so much. <laughs> this feels very like, this on is brand. My Thank you. And yes, same to you, same for you. So it's really interesting to hear that this was so monumental in your life as well. Yeah, it's oh, I love this movie so much. So to kick things off, tell me your your history with this movie. How did you discover it? When did it wash over you? How old were you? Just lay it out for me. Okay, great. Yes. So I am only a couple years younger than Enid and Rebecca. So I was in high school when this movie came out and I was in my deep beginnings of cinephilia. (laughs) So uh, my parents are also big movie lovers. They're both in education. They're not involved in entertainment at all, but huge movie buffs. So we would spend every weekend at the local video store that I actually grew up to work at when I was in college. And they were always renting you know, mainstream stuff, but a lot of indie stuff as well would always get whatever was at Sundance or, uh, you know, they had always read reviews in the paper. They loved reading film reviews. So we were I was like very encouraged to pick out weird stuff 
from both of my parents. So at this point, I was probably renting movies on my own. Um, and I think I watched this one alone. But, you know, the, well, let's see, every time period until a year or two ago, there weren't really a lot of women in films <laughs> and not a lot of women starring in films. And we, you know, did grow up at the golden age of teen cinema, which was kind of the only way you got to see girls in film or through these teen movies that both of you so lovingly cover. And this one actually looked like it was finally like, not that being serious precludes interesting or, you know, how good something is, but like this one looked like it was a more serious film mm -hmm. about teen girls. And I was a very serious teen girl. So I really liked that idea. And they looked like me. This is exactly how my friends and I dressed in high school and I couldn't believe that because I had certainly never seen like a weirdo girl starring in a film before uh -huh. so I when I saw it I was like oh wow these girls are living my exact life that my friends and I are living except for like going after men in their 40s <laughs> <laughs> but it, it just like immediately the sense of humor was the same as our sense of humor what they did with the, their time how they looked like it was stunning to me, and I immediately went out and I bought it on tape, and I watched it weekly for a long period of time. And um, I still do watch it usually five or six times a year, if not more, because I still work at a video store, my fifth video store. <laughs> <laughs> and I put it on, you know, whenever I'm in a bad mood or I need something that feels like I need some grounding in my life, I put this movie on and it feels like it's it helps me get to, like, the exact person I am, if that makes sense, if I'm feeling mm -hmm. unmoored at all, I'm like, okay, this is you. This is like my North Star kind of. But the interesting thing is over the last 20 years, I went from feeling like a mixture of Enid and Rebecca to feeling um, almost exactly like Seymour, which I did not <laughs> see coming. <laughs> I feel like there's definitely an Enid to Seymour pipeline um, that yes. exists. <laughs> The, like, incredible line where she was like, I'd kill to have all this stuff. And he goes, please, kill me. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm both of those people. <laughs> like, and just rewatching it for the show again, not that I even needed to, but, like, I wanted it to be as fresh as possible. And I was like, yeah, I am I am these people still. I'm, like, stuck in this this body, this life, these interests. I don't feel like I'm ever going to change. There's no outgrowing. Enid or Seymour for me. <laughs> yeah. I love that so much, especially because, like, I don't have a history with this movie, but walking through my local drug mart, I remember seeing this movie a lot because, like, I don't know, however old I would have been, sub-teenager, like, years old, and looking through and seeing this movie and Pieces of April and just going, oh, oh my Pieces God, of April. these girls yes. are so alternative. I think they're so cool, but I'm not renting these movies because I can't because I'm a little boy. Oh, that's exactly. I have the memory of renting Pieces of April on tape at, from that same video store uh -huh. around that same time. <laughs> and Harmony, I forgot that you were. Are you both from Cleveland, the Cleveland area? I'm from the Cleveland area. BJ's from Chicago. I am. Okay. And BJ, you moved. Okay. Because I have never guested on a podcast for somebody name dropped Drug Mart before. And now you're, you're really giving me a true oh, sense of home. That's where we got all of our movies from, which meant it had an extremely limited selection. 
<laughs> yes, but I oh, we didn't rent from Drug Mart, but I loved looking at the movies at Drug Mart. I love that my parents could go to get all of their like bathroom stuff that they needed mm-hmm. and then I could just like wander through the movie aisle. They also had a really great Halloween aisle every year too. Oh, like for really sure. scary masks. Yeah. My mom liked <laughs> Drug Mart the way that like they make jokes about white women loving Target. <laughs> oh my god, I can't believe I took a sip of water when you said that. Oh my god, yes, I know. I felt like we were at Drug Mart every weekend. Like, mm-hmm. time for a Drug Mart. I, I, don't, I haven't been back in a long time, but I have a really warm memories of spending time there. Same. Yeah, it was actually a very recent thing where we discovered that Harmony and Luce are from, like, the very same specific area. And we were like, mm-hmm. whoa, no one's from there, which is, you know, exciting. And a fun thing well, this to have. Ma- yes, and it makes this conversation even more interesting to me. Whereas I know Harmony, you just saw it, which like so lucky BJ that you got to have that experience of introducing her to it. That's amazing. Um, but I, so you've seen it as an adult, and you're not in our hometown area now. But I'm curious to know. You know, we all live in LA now, and so we can watch this movie and be like, "Oh, this is so clearly filmed in LA." Mm-hmm. But Terry Zweigoff, the co-writer and director, purposely shot it so that it could be anywhere USA. And watching it growing up, I didn't recognize Los Angeles. It looked like that could be around where I grew up as well. Oh, for did sure. Did you have that feeling at all? Oh, yeah. I mean, we do have this a lot when we do this show. But pretty much if you want somewhere to be anywhere USA, it's they use the Midwest or they try to make it look like the Midwest. And there's a lot of shots that, like, there's one fairly early on in the film where they like they just show like a stretch of road where it's like here's a bunch of restaurants and gas stations it's like mm-hmm. McDonald's gas station Burger King gas station whatever and it looks like those memes that people make of like ah Americana and it's just like an <laughs> off ramp where truckers get off on the highway in like yeah, Ohio like, that's our culture yeah, <laughs> yeah. um so it, it definitely feels it feels very distinctly Midwest for me, um, even though I definitely can recognize that it is Los Angeles. And what's funny oh, cool. is we had the same feeling watching it outside Chicago, where we were, where I grew up, where the like my introduction to this movie was actually a teacher in high school who was like one of those like they were still in like their mid to late twenties, like just out of college. I'm one of like, you. Yeah, one of the cool guy <laughs> kind of teachers. And, <laughs> my favorite teachers. <laughs> and he told my best friend and I, who is still my best friend to this day. And what's funny is that she and her now husband, and he's like. Kind of, I love him dearly. He's like a gangly dork, which is just perfect. They went as Enid and Seymour for Halloween one year, and it's just remarkable. Um, That is so cute. (laughs) But we had a teacher who was like, I feel like you two are really into Ghost World. And we lied, and we were like, yeah, of course. We've totally seen it. And at the time, we were like 15. We had not seen it yet. So then we immediately had to go to the video store and rent it. And we're like, wait, this is our Bible now. Um, It's so important (laughs) to make the cool teacher realize how cool you are. Like they can't get one over on you. Exactly. You have to be at their level. Exactly. <laughs> so we like that was our introduction. We obviously fell in love with this movie. Um, I was telling Harmony that for many years we used to just randomly leave each other notes that said like, "Dear Josh, we came by to fuck you, and you are not here. Therefore, you are gay." Love <laughs> Tiffany and Amber, and like that would just be the note, like nothing else, like not, "Hey, I came by your locker," or "Hey, let me borrow this thing." It was just that, and just leaving it to be like a little, a little taste 
place that I was here. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. That's so funny. My best friend and I would just use the tagline of like, oh, you can't come out today. Therefore, you are gay. But it was <laughs> it wasn't like the, you know, the time period where people just were using that as an insult. It was like we also were queer. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and just the way that she says it, the delivery of that line is so funny to me. There's a lot of funny line deliveries that and we're definitely going to get into it. But Luce, since this is like this is your movie, if you had to pitch this movie to someone who has never seen it before, how do you pitch this? Ooh, a perfect question for a video store manager, as I have been in this position many times. (laughs) Um, How I pitch it is it is a Y2K American indie that is based on a graphic novel that is pre-quirkiness, like before American indies were more Mm self-aware and still very um, interested in satirizing consumer culture, Uh, like filmmakers of the time that were actually kind of commenting on culture instead of trying to make culture. Uh, So I, I like use that as a framework for the tone of it. And then the focus of it, it's like, uh, you know, two outcasts who truly are outcasts. Again, they're not like the cool weirdos. That's one of the things I love about this movie is like nobody is cool, mm-hmm. you know, whereas I feel like if they made the movie today, they'd be like, oh, they're so like weird and cool, mm-hmm. sort of like the Jughead Jonesification, you know, I'm a weirdo. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Um, and yes, these two true outcasts who make fun of everyone until one of them actually decides that she wants to join the world in which they have been commenting on and tearing down for like their whole teen years. And that's what ends up kind of dividing them. Uh, I think that's that's perfect. That's exactly what this movie is. And I know that we're going to gush so much about all of these characters, but the 2001 time period I think is really important as well to set Mm -hmm. the stage so Harmony what teen movie 2001 context are you bringing to the table so we have spent a decent amount of time in 2001 specifically but as far as a lot of common ground is concerned not so much Uh, our alum for 2001 consists of not another teen movie Princess Diaries, Josie and the Pussycats, A Knight's Tale, Motocrossed, and Sugar and Spice. And we're really tackling the teen genre from a lot of different places there. This is, of course, a very uh, pivotal shift in teen culture. We are post-American Pie making just way too much money and shifting the focus from like <laughs> genuinely well-crafted, sentimental teen films that consider girls to... Fairly low, bu- uh, low budget, low comedy, low stakes sex comedies, but there's still stuff floating around. But that does mean that unfortunately the the, the trends are shifting. Josie underperforms, Sugar and Spice underperforms, but we're not exactly playing in that field in 2001. What I think is is very interesting about Ghost World specifically is this is based on a comic that started in 1993 and ran till 97. Coincidentally, 97 is the exact same year Daria started and really picked up that torch and ran with it. And this movie, it feels so weird to think of it as a 2001 movie because, like, it is. just That's the year it came out. But this almost feels like one of the last indie films of this ilk for the mm-hmm. 90s. 
Like this has mm-hmm. so much more shared DNA with like Welcome to the Dollhouse or mm-hmm. like Clerks than it does indie films in the 2000s as we know them. Yes, 100%. Yeah, and I think that the this has a longevity that a lot of the indie films that would come out in this time period don't really get to enjoy. And I think that just speaks to how this story, despite it being so specific in its time period, because like you, you think about like the way that the internet has completely changed the way that we have to tell coming of age stories because mm-hmm. you can't ignore it. Like we can't pretend that the internet doesn't exist. Teens well, and- love the internet. They love cell phones. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's like, well, we have to incorporate that aspect of these stories. Whereas this, even though it doesn't have, you know, the, the hardcore internet, the way that we have it today, it still speaks to people like that being that sensation of being an outcast and having weird interests and meeting weird people like that still exists in some form. And if anything, it's just evolved in a new way. And we'll definitely we'll definitely touch on that. But before we dive in any deeper, it is time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Hey there, prom party. Congrats, we've all made it to the end of the year. Somehow, <laughs> over on the Patreon this month, for the month of December, we got, we got some fun stuff. We always have fun stuff, but it's festive fun stuff. We're talking toys for the Sadie Hawkins dance with small soldiers and the seasonally appropriate and ridiculously strongly casted Diner by Barry Levinson. For the musical milestones, we're talking about the the song of the season. All I Want for Christmas is You and just Mariah's consistent rise as the most powerful Christmas force on the planet. And we are finishing up the four final episodes of My So-Called Life. Uh, You're going to get that in two parts just because condensing four hours of TV into one episode just is not going to do them justice. In addition to all of the bonus episodes, we have the monthly playlist, this time themed around some of the best tracks of the year, in my opinion. Um, It's not totally all of my favorites, just because a lot of them are things that I've put in other playlists or plugged at the end of the episodes, and I don't want it to just be, like, super redundant. In addition to all of that, you get BJ's monthly newsletter, access to the suggestion box, and, of course, the ever-growing and extensive back catalog of things we have available on the Patreon Especially this time of year, more than ever, if you're not able to financially support the podcast, we totally understand. Just share us with anybody who you think might enjoy what we do. Leave us a rating if you haven't already. And, like, give us some comments. Like, be, let us know if you're excited about future episodes. Let us know how you feel about the current episodes. Like, we love seeing how enthusiastic everyone is about, you know, the, what, what we're putting out in the world. So, with all that said, thanks so much. Back to the movie. Alrighty, so to kick things off, we have to talk about Enid. My God. Luce, (laughs) tell me your feelings about Enid. Enid is one of those characters who you almost want to shake because you're like, just just be there for your friends or like show up to class and try. But at the same time, if you just pause and give a little self-reflection, you're like, yeah, well... I was also a jerk. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, and I, I really love that we get to see a, a young woman who is 
talented, who is funny and creative and like pretty interesting. Like if you look at her room, you can see how artistic she is and what great taste she has. Yet she's like, you know, failed this art class and she can't quite, uh, you know, she can't quite fit in enough to just like do what she has to do to like get through it. And even then when she does find a little success by glomming on to an interesting, you know, cultural phenomenon, she she can't even follow through on that. And it really is like it's so difficult as a teenager to follow through (laughs) on things because you the world is such a a hellscape once you realize that it is if you're like a teenager that realizes the way things are early on it's very difficult to keep participating in it yet it's like so much is required of you and everybody's telling you if you don't like your whole life is it's like every decision your whole life is like weighing down upon it mm-hmm. you know <laughs> like if you don't make the right choice every single day you're not going to go to college and you're not going to get a job and you're going to be poor and die alone like everything there's so much weighing on you and yet all of the choices in front of you seem equally cheesy and corny. And it's hard to, I don't know, it's it's very relatable still when I look at Enid and I'm like, yeah, that feeling of wanting to get on a bus and start over somewhere new. I think for some people that like kind of never goes away. <laughs> yeah, I I agree completely. And I, I keep, while you were talking, I was thinking about, Something that uh, Jennifer Lee, who directed the Frozen movies, like Disney's mm. Frozen movies, said when I got to interview her and talking about like teen girl protagonists, and she says that being 17 or 18 is the most interesting time because it's when you start becoming aware of how fucked up the world is and you're also mm-hmm. at your most passionate. So all you want to do is like, scream this is fucked up Mm -hmm. but you don't actually have any like real modicum of power so you feel helpless at least powerful yeah and so it's such a fascinating age to experience because you have Enid and you know to some extent you have you know Becky being like this is so stupid like this is all so fucking stupid and they're right it is fucking stupid so much of the Mm -hmm. stuff that is required of us in life is fucking dumb (laughs) like Mm -hmm. it doesn't like we but we just kind of have to do it because otherwise you can't survive and you know we do see that with Becky of you know you have to get a job because you have to pay money because capitalism is the framework that we all have to exist within and it's fucking dumb, but Mm. it's that, or you live with your parents if they'll keep you and you have to deal with your, you know, your dad's girlfriend you hate. And right. (laughs) Well, and the crazy thing is too, is that you see that it strips Rebecca of the things that made her fun to hang out Mm -hmm. with. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like it almost immediately wears down on her personality. Right. When, uh, Bruce Glover, who plays that Crispin Glover's dad, is that like um, guy in the wheelchair who's like guesses the trivia question every day at the like fake Starbucks that Rebecca Hold works up. at. Hold up, he doesn't guess it; he like Google's it. <laughs> he, he he types it into a a Word document on his 2001 computer <laughs> pre Google. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yes, you're right. He doesn't. It's it's important to know he does not know where the Douglas pouch is unless he looks it up <laughs> online. Um, but <laughs> like. You know, Enid had that, has that great line where she's like, yeah, you know, he rules. These are our people. And she's like, ugh, no, he doesn't. Not anymore. Like, 
Becky doesn't like the weirdos that she start, that she, we saw her and Enid liking together in the beginning of the film. Basically, just getting graduating and getting her first job wears her down over like a month. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's like you're being trapped there. It's one thing when you can like get up and you can go hang out with like a guy at the bus stop and then walk away. It's another thing if you're like chained to like a place where weirdos come and they yell at you for right. eight hours at a time. Exactly. And it's and so then you look at Enid and you're like, well, no wonder she doesn't want to go to work. She's seeing uh, she's still getting to run around and like go to the sex toy store and like have these odd adventures with Seymour. And Rebecca doesn't have any adventures anymore. She wants to go with like the lame guy from Alien Autopsy. Like, (laughs) so you like look at her and I'm like, yeah, totally makes sense why you don't want to work at Computer Station. Um, But it is also like, oh, when she. Then when she applies that same sort of like lackadaical, like, uh, I don't know, I'll, maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't, to like the art show, it's so frustrating because it's like, oh, no, but that could have been your moment. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. at the same time, I never went to art school and I have plenty of friends who did who said that that was also not a great place for them. Well, so you, 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 you see that even with just like, what what is art school if not just taking more art classes where you have like pretentious people like judge your work until you can give a good explanation for it that they agree mm-hmm. with right creating rules and expectations and they around force you to watch uh, their terrible art house films <laughs> <laughs> okay but elena douglas as the art teacher though is oh she's great she's Amazing. so incredible like it is such a very specific type of like art professor I think anybody who works in any sort of creative field even if you didn't go to art school even if you didn't go to film school we know this person because oh that's an acting teacher I've had oh absolutely (laughs) (laughs) and and it's all also so predictable too the way that she just globs onto what a piece of art is apparently saying and not what Mm -hmm. it's actually doing like you could BS your way through her class so easily if you just throw the right buzzword words at her which I think Mm -hmm. is such a fantastic like assessment of a lot of like a lot of shitty activists that I think we now see a lot more in online spaces they're not yes (laughs) they're not Mm -hmm. just character hasn't gone away no she's just evolved she's on our twitter feed and is really annoying Mm -hmm. (laughs) yes just use right words angry that yeah yeah women racism feminism and she's just like wow wow all right she definitely put like the black cube up in the summer of 2020. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That is 100% what she she's all about that. She read a lot of books in 2020 and made sure yes. everyone knew she read a lot of books in 2020. <laughs> yeah, she's listening now, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, yes. Um I yeah, so Enid is just to me such a kindred spirit I think with a lot of the weird art girls of all forms because there is something else about her that I think a lot of us don't want to accept about ourselves which is that she's also kind of an asshole um Mm -hmm. but like as we discuss on the show all the time there's a big difference between a bitch and an asshole and like she's an asshole and Mm -hmm. I'm also an asshole like and I have to accept that about myself like I am an asshole who sometimes does have that little thought in the back of my head of like oh you like that movie fucking loser (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, we have taste, so of course. Yeah. I, I went to the Americana for the first time today to watch a movie with one of my dear friends, and I 
judged so many people at the Americana. I hate it. I hate <laughs> oh it gosh. so much. <laughs> Harmony, I was at the Americana today also. <laughs> were you? Were yes, you also seeing there. Dream Sequence? <laughs> Scenario, no. but you were close. Oh, whatever. Oh, I saw Dream Scenario a couple weeks ago, huh. but I did not. I wasn't there today. I was visiting a friend of mine who manages the Barnes and Noble. Oh, see, <laughs> that sounds like the least awful place in there to be. I just like too many people coming in and out of the Gucci store, looking like Instagram yes. influencers and giving me nasty looks. I did not care for my time there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not great, but it is fun to go to that Sephora. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. Sephora and the Barnes and Noble. I have friends that work at both of them, so I'm like, "Hello, discount, please." <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do love a bookstore, though. So Barnes and Noble, forever. Um, I, yeah. So I love also when we get to see the moments of Enid working in, like, trying to oh, work. Oh my god! At the movie theater, she's so funny at the movie. She's theater. working at the movie theater, and her manager is the bad boy of the fake MTV boy band Together. Also, the coleslaw oh. eater in <gasps> Never Been Kissed. Um, thrilled to see him there, but mm-hmm. she says everything that I wish I could say at like a movie theater. But sir, (laughs) (laughs) only an idiot would get a much smaller size. See, I feel like Enid could thrive somewhere that is not corporate like this. Cause Mm -hmm. I've never been hired by a corporate place because they refuse to hire trans people. And like, that's fine with me. So, like, I've definitely worked places where you can kind of get away with saying a lot of stuff that she says to customers if they deserve it. Of course. It's, like, too bad that they only have, like, the chain video store in their town mm-hmm. because I feel like she that's the perfect attitude for the video store. Oh, the what was it? the Or the comic store that's called Zenophobia. Oh, my God. Right, but only those shitty guys work there. Uh-huh. Like, she would be the oh, coolest I, person to, like have like recommendations for stuff to read I would I would get anything she told me to read (laughs) right like she should be at a bookstore or a record store she has a great record collection she's already listening to the buzzcocks in high school Mm -hmm. like this this movie introduced me to the buzzcocks that like specifically made me a cooler person with better music taste (laughs) (laughs) oh I love but I really related to her scene too of when she goes in there and she's like this is an authentic 1977 punk rock look. I guess you're too stupid to see it. <laughs> and I just, I have felt that way my entire life, that I'm making like a very specific choice with my look and people don't get it. And I'm like, um, I had platinum hair for like 10, 12 years until the pandemic like forced me to grow it out. And... um when Lady Gaga hit the scene, like, what was that, 10, 12 years ago, um, people started coming up to me and being like, oh, my God, you look like Lady Gaga. And it drove me crazy because uh-huh. I had had that hair for, like, five years. And I was like, she looks like me. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't. She had what I have looked like this and she was still Stephanie Grimada. Mm-hmm. You know, it, like, drove me so crazy. And, like, I had, like, an... An ex who would be like, oh, you looks like you're trying to be very punk rock today, like based on like what I would wear. And I'm like, I'm not. It was like so embarrassing every time he would say that because I'm like, this is how I dress. This is how I look. It's not like specifically punk rock. It's just not like boring T-shirt and jeans. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Just that like weird commenting on like what your style is and not appreciating it. That always uh, has bothered me. Oh, for sure. Especially because like. 
punk rock in the 90s and you know for kind of forever like uh, after that your idea of what punk rock looked like in like big ass quotes in the 90s and like the mainstream certainly is going to be like some dude some dude who wants to look like billy joe armstrong but she's like yes. no i'm doing an original punk aesthetic which is like based on Vivian Westwood's look and is defined mm-hmm. by women and their sense of taste, not some dude with like bleached spiked up hair from SoCal. Yes. And that's a di- that's decidedly different. It definitely is. And it's also very much like Enid's taste as well. Mm-hmm. Like she obviously tries on different things, but Enid, even though she doesn't know exactly what she wants to do with her life, feels very authentic to me. Like she she likes exactly what she likes, and she's not gonna act any other way for any other person. Oh, definitely, right? And so then to be told by this piece of shit that like she's essentially being a poser when like she very much picked this out in a in an homage that clearly means something to her. Mm-hmm. Like I just I love the the rage in which she bites back because that's my. Even though I'm a comedian, I'm like a, more of a writer comedian. I've always felt that like when I'm pressed, I, I want to be one of those people who's like very funny and like, oh, I have like a witty comeback to everything. But I'm much more of an Enid where I'm like a, a lash out angrily mm-hmm. <laughs> type of person even today. So it's I do really relate to that. I mean, everyone's too stupid is also constantly running into my mind. Oh, it's, it's, the world is full of a lot of dumb people and I'm in- a lot of. Those Pat Healy characters. Oh God, he's I, so Pat Healy's great such in a this. dork, and I love him. But before his we move on, actually, yeah, oh, his turtleneck <laughs> underneath a different like V-neck shirt that just looks awful, and the just the exact right way. I love how much Pat Healy loves playing dorks like this. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like speaking speaking of her music, because I was thinking about this when we were watching it, is especially when you're in high school. I think the scenes that you tend to land in are very often defined by the types of music you listen to. So it's like you have Mm -hmm. your metalheads, you have your burnout kids who only listen to like Sublime and Bob Marley and Pink Floyd. You have your punk kids. Then you have the the actual punk kids. You have people Mm -hmm. who only listen to pop music and that usually encompasses like the preps and their one gay best friend. Like the music that you listen to very much defines kind of where you tend to land in, in your teenage years. And she's listening to like, 1920s blues, Bollywood, <laughs> right. pop rock songs. Um, yeah, how could this fit in with any other teenager? <laughs> exactly. It's like she's not she's not defined by one scene, and it makes sense that she's just putting on different outfits that, like, so, sure, she looks like she's an original punk, and other times it looks like she's a big fan of the band D-Light. Um, she can, <laughs> yeah, she can, and other times she's like a grandma. <laughs> yeah, she can do whatever, and that's fine. I think that that's really helps to establish like kind of for for the viewer but also just in terms of who she is as a person like she is such an outcast because her tastes are genuinely not with like a click because mm-hmm. even like the closest you end up with is like Seymour's party of dorky balding middle-aged men who listen to 78s she doesn't fit in there either it's just a better mm-hmm. fit than other places Oh, that's another thing I really relate to with Enid is after working at video stores and bookstores my entire adult life is I get along so well with like Gen X men mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and I don't mean to or necessarily want to, but they like flock to me because I'm like, yeah, I love 
physical media and I collect VHS tapes and I'm on top of like, you know, boutique releases and I see everything in the theater and I like all this weird shit similar to like to Enid. And I feel like I've had Seymour's in my life forever, Mm -hmm. not because it's like who I want to you know, necessarily spend time with, but I accidentally have so much in common with them. <laughs> I was telling Harmony this when we were watching it because that is also very true to my experience and oh, is very I true to my, my best friend and I because part of why she and I connected so deeply is because, well, yes, there were definitely clicks that we were in line with. Like, we were both theater kids, so obviously, like, that's going to be its own scene. But we were mm-hmm. the same people who, in one day, it's like, we're going to lay in the grass and listen to Mira, this, like, folksy, like, indie girl. And then we're going mm-hmm. to drink a bunch of energy drinks and listen to mindless self-indulgence. And, like, that is <laughs> our day. And have a great day and enjoy both of those bands equally, but for very different reasons. And, like, finding people who have these, like, weird expanses like of the things that they're interested in is not easy to find and our taste didn't always align but they aligned in the sense that we had like such radically huge (laughs) swaths of the stuff we were interested in and so to see Enid like this person who yes will dress like 1970s punk but also like rock out in her room to a Bollywood movie like she's the coolest because she cannot be contained and I like Mm -hmm. I think so like that's kind of getting lost so much um because we've become so hyper fixated on like brands like what is your brand what is Mm -hmm. your thing that you do to the point where I mean you know right now is end of year there's lots of like the end of year list things that are happening and this is when I start to see like well what do other people view me as because I'll be asked for specific lists like oh they're asking me about horror because I I'm the I'm the horror friend they have they're asking me about coming of age because I have a teen girl movie podcast they're asking me about animation because they know I really like animation and it's like okay these are the niches that you have boxed me into or and of course queer (laughs) stuff because you know we gotta gotta get our tokenization where we can but it's Mm -hmm. like I am interested in so much more like nobody wanted to talk to me about weird international films this year because they just didn't know that's a thing that I'm interested in because you know, you view people in in the little boxes that they're in. And Enid doesn't have a box. She doesn't have one. It does not exist. Even with the people that are like the people who speak to her soul, like with Becky, they, they're they not in the same box. Her and Seymour are not in the same box. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I just love that about her. Like, she's so wonderful. And it's not even in like a hashtag not like most girls. Like, she just is <laughs> different. She just is different. And... God, I love her. I love her so much. Ina Coleslaw, woman of my heart. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think that was so beautifully put because when I was watching this, I was trying to think about like, oh, would Enid, of Enid today, would she have like social media? And I really think she would be one of those people who is very much like, ew, I'm not doing that. <laughs> you know, because there are just people who don't have, who just aren't online, mm-hmm. which is always really crazy and impressive to me. Not crazy in a bad way. I just have a hard time wrapping my mind around it. I'm so oh, yeah. jealous of those people. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm like, what would life be like? <laughs> and then she, I'm, you know- I'm, I'm, I mean, I basically have like one foot on the internet and one foot out the door on any given day. This is true, and this is like it's pretty nice. It's it's <laughs> this is relevant to the to the situation. I got put in a group chat today for a friend that's throwing a going away party, and um, 
<laughs> the, the friend was like, and BJ, I assume that you can pass this information on to Harmony because I know she doesn't use Twitter much. And I was like, In my yes, defense, I, I was at the movies at the time and I wasn't going to see it. But yes, BJ would have told me before I checked it. <laughs> yeah, that's... See, my partner's not, is very much this person. He's not online at all. So I feel like if I disappear, then... I mean, not only does my income also disappear, but it's also like... <laughs> Who will keep me up to date on anything? Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll just disappear if I'm not on the internet. <laughs> and while we're talking about the internet, something that uh, like really struck me in during during this rewatch is one of Enid and Becky's like favorite things is just like following weirdos and like looking at weirdos <laughs> and like trying to yes. figure out their life, which was definitely a thing that uh, my best friend and I did when we were younger mm-hmm. because we also could go to malls because now malls are like hostile to teenagers, but. You know, it used to not be that way. Um, We were at the mall constantly. The mall and Cedar Point. We hung out at Cedar Point. We got Cedar Point passes every year. And we did what they did in in town. We did that at Cedar Point. We'd follow people around. Mm -hmm. We'd just mercilessly pick apart every single thing about them. I mean, it's how we got through waiting in all the lines. It was... Uh, we loved we loved attacking people to ourselves at Cedar Point. Oh yeah, you have to come up with like the weird backstory of how they got here, how do they know yes. each other? Like that's it was like such a weird thought experiment of <laughs> like what we did as teenagers. Man, well, no wonder writing. y'all became writers. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was just gonna say. Early writing and improv, really. I mean, and I also grew up across the street from a cemetery, so my friends and I also hung out at the cemetery, which is very. <laughs> on brand uh, early goth experiences but we would do that same thing but with the dead people where we like walk around and make up (laughs) stories about each person you know based on what it said on their grave that is like such like a goth improv prompt I love it so (laughs) much (laughs) I've just always always loved storytelling and always fascinated by people and like that what's funny is like that fascination hasn't gone away it's just been turned into content. And like, that's mm-hmm. that's the, the weird thing is, that, you know, every week or so, there's some new story about some, you know, 19 year old or whatever that recorded some stranger, which like, I say it all the time on the show, don't record strangers without their consent, don't do it. The difference mm-hmm. between what we were doing as teenagers is we kept that to ourselves and it was just a conversation with our friends. We were not broadcasting that on the internet, like look at this fucking weirdo. Um, no, I don't even, I never even told people that we did that at the time. Yeah, you know, we like didn't either. super secret friendship ritual. Yeah, like, and and now people are like recording somebody alone at a at a restaurant. And it's like, I hope they're having a good day. No one's eating with them. And it's like, they might just oh. be on their break from work. Leave mm-hmm. them alone. Yeah. <laughs> I hate that so much. It's so disturbing, like thinking about how many videos you could be in. Because I do a lot of stuff alone. I like being alone and like, I'm like, oh, God, are all these teenagers thinking I'm sad? I thought they were looking at me because I look so cool. (laughs) (laughs) My biggest nightmare is some TikTok going viral on TikTok because I'm pitiable. Or God forbid they think I'm brave. (laughs) (laughs) Right, which is a shade of pitiable. Uh (laughs) This track alone by Memphis Mini is worth about $500 if you own the original 78. I know the guy who owns the original and lent it for use on this reissue. Wow. How much is it? Dollar seventy-five. If you don't like it, you can uh, 
You can bring it back for a refund. We're here every Saturday. I'm sure it's okay. Enjoy. It was so cute how he had his own little bags. I thought I was going to start crying. Yeah, he should totally just kill himself. Oh, here's one. Oh, but you have to share with a non-smoking feminist and her two cats? I don't know. I kind of like him. He's the exact opposite of everything I really hate. In a way, he's such a clueless dork. He's almost kind of cool. That guy has many things, but he's definitely not cool. Yeah, I'm afraid of um, somebody catching a video of me, like, falling down because I'm a little klutzy and I don't fall, like, gracefully or petitely. I'm like a sprawler when I trip and I'm terrified of being in a video tripping. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always afraid that someone's going to get because I wear masks everywhere still and I have to like adjust it every once in a while and like wipe my nose because when you wear a mask, your nose runs. And I'm like, I'm going to mm -hmm. end up on like, look at this fat bitch picking her nose. And it's like, I swear I wasn't. <laughs> That's what I'm terrified of. Like, absolutely like terrified. <laughs> news videos from like when we were growing up that was like, oh, oh, no, I'll be yesterday. And then just be random people just walking. <laughs> Minding their fucking business, living their lives perfectly content, mm -hmm. and this, and then yeah, the newsreel footage is like, oh god, it's like, it's like B-roll so footage of someone strolling down the sidewalk and like their just shorts are up in their butt crack, yeah, and there's like, god. is obesity facing our community? Find out more <laughs> at eleven. It's like, wow, that's just so. You think it's nice just because you didn't show their face? It's still mean. God. It's very mean, and we should all have the right to have our clothes in our butts and not have it be recorded uh -huh. it's difficult to wear clothes <laughs> oh my they're God. not tailored for most of our bodies no nope. they're really not <laughs> <laughs> and okay so speaking of clothes i'm going to make this incredible segue we need to talk about a man who wears a sexy green cardigan and mm. we need to talk about steve buscemi as seymour god i love hate him so much uh God, how do you just, feel about seymour <laughs> one of the rare appearances this man is probably going to be making on this podcast i can't imagine there's going to be many more <laughs> gosh such a great point not a big teen movie guy no. although maybe in the hey kids <laughs> hey fellow kids he can make that appearance we do yep. we do quote hey how do you do fellow kids all the time so i guess he there does make more appearances than we realize <laughs> The spirit of Buscemi does. <laughs> the spirit of Buscemi. Oh, I just, I adore him. I, I'm, I very much relate to this character. Like, yes, he's kind of pathetic and helpless and won't, you know, doesn't make the effort at all to get anything that he wants and just wants to be a sad sack. But also, I get it. I have those days where I am, you know, where he goes to see this incredible blues musician, but he's opening up for this like really racist, shitty, like white blues band. Oh my God, they're so awful. Uh -huh. Yeah, and he's so mad at, uh, I'm, I feel his anger towards society on a regular basis. When he's mad at the people walking slowly across the street and he's like, what are you moving in slow motion? I think I've, I've said that and genuinely upset before. Like I, I am, 
constantly I'm very irritable I'm nice in person I would never like act like that to anybody's face I'd be very polite but oh my god when I'm alone I get very irritable mm-hmm. <laughs> in the same way that he does I, and, this, <laughs> and this is exactly my love hate is because I love him and I hate that I know that I am him <laughs> like, yeah that's yes. how I feel <laughs> I like I, I at least we have better it. style. BJ, we have the style of this Enid is true. and then the attitude of Seymour. At least we don't have the brown outfits. Oh god. I was just telling BJ the other day like we were doing something and we were both kind of having a bad day and there was like our neighbors were like making a ruckus and I was like Man, emotionally, it would just feel so good to just open the window and be like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) But I'm like, that would be mean. I wouldn't actually do it, but it would feel really good. And then I'd feel really bad. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly. That's the thing, because it's very reactive and it's not really a healthy thing to do. And you could be making someone's day so much worse. Sometimes you just like, hey, if you're screaming in your car and no one can hear you like on the highway, that's not so bad. Mm hmm. Just be oh, like, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, nice turn signal, asshole. God damn it. <laughs> my car is filled with screams. <laughs> uh-huh. But um, I, I, not only do I kind of love Seymour as a character, I've gone to a lot of record conventions in my day, uh, many of them <laughs> located right next to airports because that's where they always seem to be. And <laughs> I've talked to so many record guys, like just dudes in like who are like 40, 50 years old, and they are the most pretentious dudes who would be like, well, uh, you need to understand, um, Marquee Moon by mm-hmm. television, this is a really rare record. And I was like, yeah, and if I want to buy it, I'll buy it. What's your price? And he's like, well, I just need you to know it's going to be expensive. And I was like, don't, don't, <laughs> shut the fuck up. Tell me how much it is. The answer was, Amazing. the answer was he was charging too much and I did not need it and I didn't like his attitude anyway. But Right. He was preparing you for that with the speech. Honestly, you were stupid. I wouldn't be surprised if he was just being a dick and charging, trying to mark it up. Because it's like, if they don't have stickers on the records, then they're just kind of like spitballing it and fuck them. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe he was doing the Enid thing of like he lost his virginity to that record and he didn't really want you to buy it after all. <laughs> God, that's the most like I'm a cool guy thing to say is like I lost my virginity to television. <laughs> oh my God. It's much worse if it's uh, Cheshire Cat by Blink-182. <laughs> oh yeah? <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> At least it was their first album. <laughs> True. Um, but no, I've, so many of these guys are just the biggest assholes, and they're just like they they want to gatekeep women. They want to gatekeep people out of their like hobby, out of their circle, and they're mm-hmm. just miserable people. And they like project that misery onto people. Yes. Seymour is genuinely excited to share the thing that he's passionate about, like his niche dorky ho- hobby that he knows is niche and dorky. He's just really <laughs> stoked to share it with somebody who seems genuinely interested. And that's true. I'm I'm excited about anybody who wants to talk to me about whatever like weird thing they're into because I like listening to people be excited about stuff. And it's so rare to hear people just be like enthusiastic without getting fear of being judged about something that they like. Like he's mm-hmm. kind of like he's restricting himself, but in that way he's very free. Yeah, that's really true. And he doesn't seem like he wishes he had love in his life, but he also does seem like very content with who he is in a way as well. Mm -hmm. I love that he's also so just, you know, this is just who I am and I've accepted this about myself because you can tell by the other people he's 
around. So like we have David Cross who when David Cross hits Ugh. on Scarlett Johansson, Ugh. it is one of the funniest, most like infuriating scenes because I have witnessed this happen to my friends mm-hmm. oh, so many it's times. So real. I've had it happen to me and you're just like, Get the fuck away from me, guy. And then you have Tom McGowan, uh, his roommate. His his name is Joe in the movie. But Pat, uh, Pat from Heavyweights, one of my my chubby kings, is Seymour's roommate. Who he's just, so like, much sadder in this. He's so sad oh. in this. He's farting. He doesn't brush his hair. And I'm just like, what are you doing, Pat? What, what's going on here, buddy? <laughs> he has so many great looks. Like, he's in the background of so many moments where he's, like, rolling his eyes or he's just like, oh, my God, Seymour. Like, <laughs> he does sort of see some things that Seymour doesn't, which I think are really funny also. Mm-hmm. Agreed, agreed. And I love that Seymour is also similar to Enid in the sense that he also has a very wide range of like the weird stuff he's into like I like I would love to just explore his like little room of finding whatever weird shit he has because he has so much weird shit because once Mm -hmm. she finds you know the very (laughs) racist painting he's like and here's a book that explains the history of it and it's like why do you have that like just at the ready Mm -hmm. and at the and why do you work there now right Mm And I love how he says, I was very interested in that phenomenon when I was your age. And I was like, oh, gosh, yeah, that's such a a young person, like, as you're discovering how bigoted and bizarrely slanted the world is. It's like you start seeing it everywhere and it becomes more and more interesting and more and more important to, like, underscore. And, you know, I know you guys are very involved in social issues as well, but I don't know if you've seen this with people I used to be activists with in the tw- in my 20s. So many of them now are just like not involved in anything anymore. Mm-hmm. And people just, you know, burn out or they kind of just decide to do regular life. And it's, I don't know, it's kind of interesting to see the way it's like, oh, yeah, this stuff is just for young people. And I'm like, well, it doesn't have to be. You can still care about this. Stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's just easier when you're in your like. 20s because you have a little bit more time and a lot more That's energy true. and mm-hmm. you have to it, you have to force yourself to not be one of those people where it's like you'll get more conservative as you get older it's like no you need to do your best to just never get tired mm-hmm. yes <laughs> definitely and something else that I really like is like with this art piece specifically is that I do have a great appreciation that once we see like when Enid finds this painting she's rightfully repulsed by it she's like why the hell do you have this like she's like horrified mm-hmm. she accuses him of being a clansman oh, I love <laughs> which is like such a great response and you know obviously she knows like well this is gonna like get my teacher over because of what it is and it is that moment of like she's so close to like fully understanding what's going on and like the cruel irony is that the point that she bullshit her way into making of like people just take this down and they don't want to address it or they just hide it is what happens to it at the actual art fair where they do Mm -hmm. take it down, which proves her point, but she's not there. And you're just like, God damn it, Enid. Like you were so close to fully understanding this, but you didn't want to take the time to like fully unpack what you were going with here. (sighs) I mean, it's the the scale of that when you're a teenager, like that's all, that's a lot. Like she's sort of just, she's just parroting things that Seymour is saying so like he understands Mm -hmm. it and he's just like kind of 
begrudgingly accepted it. Like, he's sort of what Becky's going to be probably like in 20, 30 years, where it's mm. like, yeah, I worked a job and I keep my weirdo stuff in my little room and I do that in my off time and I'm quiet about it. But mostly I just work a job and I've sold my soul and it sucks, but that's America. Um, but he but he recognizes history and he understands it quite, quite well. Enid's almost under she she understands it, but she doesn't understand like the full scale and the nuance of it yet. Yeah. Because she hates the idea that you can't just be a weirdo mm-hmm. forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and she, there's a point to a point to that because I f- I feel like I'm constantly fighting that battle myself, and you know I'm in my early mm-hmm. 30s, but I spent so much time in my 20s. Like I was such a weirdo as a teenager, like embraced it so much, and then I hit my 20s. And I got really afraid that, like, I was going to be living in destitute if I wasn't, you know, a a little bit more normal. And I did kind of do Mm -hmm. the Becky thing of, like, trying to have a normal job, trying to do all this. And then I got cancer and didn't die. And I was like, okay, well, fuck that. I am not doing that for the rest of my life. And then, like, very much dove headfirst back into being a weirdo. And But now I'm, like, in my 30s and I'm starting to, like, have those feelings again of, like, do I need to dye my hair a color that isn't green? And right now it's green and pink. But, like, do I need to go back to having a normal hair color? And it's like, you know what? No. Nope, nope, nope. I'm going to fight that. I'm going to fight it until... I can't anymore. Like, this is what makes me happy. Having green hair makes me happy. I don't have a lot of things anymore that makes me happy. I have to cling on to this. Fuck people who say that I need to dye my hair. But you you feel that pressure, like, so much of just, would my life be easier? Would my, like, would I be more financially secure? Would I be able to do more things if I made, like, this one this one con- concession of being a little bit more normal. Well, it's just one, and then it's another one. That's well, another yeah, one. that's like, it. It snowballs. Well put, Harmony. I, yes, and I, I was, I was like that all of this year. I mean, I, I spent the first six months of this year, um, as well as a chunk of last year, unemployed, and I was like, I'm gonna grow my hair out. I'm gonna get like sort of a wolf cut, but not really. I'm gonna have like a kind of normal, trendy haircut instead of just shaving it all off, like I keep wanting to do. Because <laughs> then I'll look, you know. I'll keep the blue, but like then I'll look kind of presentable. I'll look kind of normal. I can put my hair up. I can do things with it. And I hit this breaking point, and also I work somewhere that's really cool and isn't going to be mad at me for it, where I'm like, no, fuck it. Shave off half of it. I'm sick of pretending like I'm a presentable person. I need to be choppy and messy because I'm fucking Cleveland to the bone, and I've got rust in my blood. (laughs) Cleveland to the bone. Oh, my gosh. Okay, Harmony, we need Cleveland to the bone (laughs) T-shirts. Yeah, Cleveland God, to it's the just, bone, it's like it's asking to, blood. It's like asking to have the yes. dog pound thing on it, too. I That's true. That's true. <laughs> I love that both of you brought this up, though, because um, I do think that this is an important... Uh, I don't know, when you're an adult weirdo, I feel like kids need this sort of outreach to hear that, like, you actually aren't going to just become an adult and then things go one way forever. Because that's really how adulthood is sort of sold is like after college or like after high school, whenever you get into the workforce, like you're pretty much on autopilot. And it's not true. You go through so many different phases. And I do think that for weirdos, there's this phase of like, okay, I got to try to like, I got to try to tone it down a little bit and like do the job and have because I need the apartment and I need the money. And 
I I also had like the same thing. I got married really young to the wrong person because I wanted to have like that stability and I was in, you know, started doing comedy and I was like, oh, if I get married and this person has a good job, then I can like really get into this more artistic aspect of myself and thought that I was being more um, I thought that I was still being a bit of a weirdo, but this person that I married really wanted me to be even more normal. Like I was too, all the stuff that he was drawn to, he like mm. then didn't like it, you know, mm-hmm. like once I was like locked down. And so there were like certain clothes I loved that I got rid of. And there were, I look back on some, I don't know, outfits and pictures of me and I'm like, oh my God, why am I, I so don't look like myself for this couple of years. What was happening? And I have to try not to judge like little Luce based on that because I was like, oh, she was like trying to preserve her sanity in this moment. She didn't know what was going on. She was like trying to hang on Mm -hmm. and be normal so that she could make money so badly. And it was like, After that relationship ended, I like finally I feel like I got to go back and be myself again and be like, oh, hey, who you were in high school and college was also actually awesome. And that didn't need to change. Like you can still make money and or you can be on the poorer side of things, but still get by and Mm -hmm. like be yourself. Yeah, totally. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You just have to you have to find a place where you have the I mean, it's, it's a luxury to be able to like express yourself or be yourself. But like. Yes. Fortunately for Enid, like, I don't know where she's going to go on this bus at the end of the movie, but like she's in Los Angeles. That's a place where you can be a weirdo and do okay. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. it's possible there. Yeah. You just got to find your avenue because I I think sometimes people forget that L.A. is also a town of weirdos because so many of like influencer culture and a lot of this like very. You know, like there are Hollywood. Yeah, there's Hollywood Mm -hmm. actors here. So people assume like you have to, you know, look a certain way. And it's like, glamorous. there's also weirdos. Like there's also like a lot of strange people in this city. And the nice thing is people, for the most part, just kind of leave you alone, which is great. Um, I think (laughs) L.A. weird and New York weird are very different. But I like L.A. weird quite a bit. And something that I was thinking about, too, with like Enid and Seymour is when I look at how they do have this, you know, through a 2023 lens, we can look at this and say, this is an inappropriate relationship. Um, But I also definitely like had some experiences with people who were much older than I was when I was, you know, the summer after high school, the summer after high school, Oh, what a freeing time. That is like, like I could like take on the world that summer. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like that is like a vortex of time that I don't think people talk about nearly enough because you finally get to be an adult because you've graduated from high school, but you also are n- nowhere near close to being an adult, but you have freedom in a way that you likely never had before. Um, mm-hmm. And you haven't started like college or entering the workforce or joining the military or whatever it is you do after high school. So you have like this little frozen moment where you can kind of be the most crazy like you've ever been like it's like yes. rumspringa i don't know how else to describe it yes <laughs> but I mean, like that summer i like every person that i hooked up with that summer probably had like a 10 year like like on me at some point and it was because like like enid has a couple things going is that one people her age ignore her they all look at becky which i mean she's scarlett johansson so like 
I get it. Yeah, Becky's like a little more normal. <laughs> she's more. She, uh-huh. She's like the weird brain, but she can get by. Oh, yeah, I would have been drawn she, to Enid so much more. But also, we're all weirdos. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So, like, because there are moments where like people will hit on Becky, and Enid's like, "It's am I even here?" Like, because nobody pays attention to her. So, you know, you're gonna have a little bit of that insecurity of thinking that like you're not desirable or what have you. And then also, everyone around her is stupid. Like, she doesn't have an intellectual equal or somebody that at least challenges her intellectually so when she does have that with Seymour she's you know that's exciting to her and then also she's recognizing for the first time that like she also kind of has the power in this situation like she's Mm -hmm. the one that he is very much pining after Mm -hmm. and that's also a big thing that happens as like a teen girl that no one ever wants to talk about because it's an uncomfortable kind of icky feeling when you really process it but I very distinctly remember like how like when it happened when I was like oh oh I can take control of this insecure weird feeling I have and I can seek out my own validation and Mm -hmm. I don't have to factor in whether or not they like me like me huh that's a that's an interesting thing here and like again like yeah that's kind of asshole behavior like I should care about the other person but also teenagers are notorious assholes Mm -hmm. right well and you're finding yourself you're like figuring out adult sexuality Mm -hmm. like you're it's a very difficult thing because we don't have sex education in our society we're brought up in like a deeply like homophobic society as well and like they're what are you supposed to do if you are not like a cishet person Mm -hmm. as like a young person or if you're like a pervert which like I very much was I knew I was queer since I was a child and I also was a I knew I was into weird fetish stuff since I was a kid also and it's like Mm -hmm. well (laughs) you can't uh, sometimes you need to interact not I don't know if this is the right I'm not putting this the right way but like sometimes it feels like you need to interact with older people to connect on certain things if people your age don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Oh, for sure. And totally. When when you're like, she's probably like 18 years old, she's fresh out of high school, so it's like, you know, you you know everything. You know more than every idiot that, you ha- that you're around. You know more than every yes. idiot you hang out with. You know more than your dad, that guy who's in a lot of Christopher Guest <laughs> movies and also Bob girlfriends. Balaban. Yeah. He's, <laughs> My favorite. He's, he's lovely, but he's... He is not an assertive man at all. Um, I almost feel like Seymour being very similar to her dad is like oh, some such a some a, some attention <laughs> that she's not used to getting. Um, there, there's a lot going into this, but we we could all look at this and go, okay, Seymour's like twice her age. This is absolutely not something that should be happening. But I understand this relationship between the two. I'm not saying I well, agree I- with it, but I understand it. No, exactly. And I, I don't know. I like that she sort of chases after. I. It's from Enid's perspective, which is why <laughs> I I don't think this is like icky at all. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's hard for me to be like very objective since I love it so much. But if this was a movie about Seymour and his crush on Enid, it would be a very different, disturbing well, that, movie. That would just be like American know? Beauty then. That yeah, <laughs> 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 totally. So the fact that it's like her and she's exploring and she's like, oh, I, I like you know she likes shocking this man too, which is something mm-hmm. that I can really relate to. Is I don't think I've ever quite grown out of that. Like, oh, I like, 
I like when I say something that shocks somebody or somebody is surprised by something I do, which is probably why I like, you know, being on stage and and saying um, crazy shit and getting a rise out of the audience, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so I love that, like, yeah, she wants to take him to the sex store and, like, she loves that it kind of makes him uncomfortable and she likes being the loudest girl at the sex store. Like, my friends and I did that all the time. There was a sex store in Brunswick, Ohio, mm-hmm. that we would go to. And, like, six of us at a time in there just howling, hooting and howling. Like, I can't imagine, you know, all the adult men in there are not expecting a bunch of 18 and 19-year-old girls, like, chasing each other around with, like, the big fisting arm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. I, I like to hang out at the, uh, the adult mart that was off the highway between Amherst and Vermilion. If you recall, oh, yes, I never went to that one. I don't know why we went all the way out to Brunswick. I don't know. There's a lovely video. If anybody's curious, um, there's a fantastic video from like 12 years ago of someone driving a car through that sex store. And um, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. It's it's it has no sound, but it's like security footage on YouTube from like the Chronicle or whatever. (laughs) And some guy drove his car in through one door, picked up a sex toy that was a few hundred dollars. Threw it down, picked up like a $50 toy instead, and then drove his car out the other side, causing tons of damage to his vehicle for a cheap toy and having his license plate fully in view. Uh, Spectacular stuff. But I used to hang in there all the time because I wanted to work there because I'm like, well, no one at the sex store will judge me if I'm trans and I'm working here. This is probably a really mild thing compared to what they normally deal with. But um, (laughs) mostly I just liked hanging out with the people that worked there because they were weirdos. They were fascinating. It was awesome. Yes. Exactly. That's what I I think. And, you know, it's interesting. I really like that there's nothing dangerous happens to Enid. Like Seymour is a pretty harmless mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. He he like gets too obsessed with her after they have sex. But like he their relationship, I like that it kind of ends in a nice way. And it's like he kind of has to accept that she's a teenager and she never really wanted to be with him anyway. She was just kind of like exploring her own thing and I think it has sort of like a nice ending to it and I like that it's not like oh it turns out that you put yourself in a dangerous scenario as a sexually active young woman which happens in so many films and I feel like I was definitely in dangerous situations because I was like oh my god yeah I'll get in your car and like go to your place oh my god you have a snake I want to come meet your snake (laughs) like what don't get in a truck with that man because he said he has a boa constrictor. But no, you're totally right, though, because like when I look back at my my sexual exploits as a young woman, the, yes, there were definitely situations where I was like, well, that was fucked up. And I probably like I'm very lucky that I got out of that with, you know, n- minimal issues and only a tiny bit of therapy talk needed. But for the most part, a lot of the, the these relationships that I had, even if they were with somebody like, you know, much older that like on paper or through the lens of some 20 year old talking about grooming on TikTok was probably mm-hmm. a bad situation. I have no issue with it. In fact, some of them are super fun. And like, I had a great time and I learned a lot about myself in the process. And yeah, there were definitely situations where people caught some feelings and I was like, oh no, no, this was, this was casual. This mm-hmm. was not. Oh my God. Not- <laughs> I destroyed so many people from the ages of like 16 to 22, 23. I was just like, I was so casually not cruel and the like mean to people but just like i just thought we were having fun i'm just having fun (laughs) (laughs) oh i feel this i feel this deep in my bones (laughs) (laughs) i that's the thing with like even that enid being like yeah she kind of went over to seymour's because she needed attention that night because she felt bad about losing out on that scholarship 
you know, like mm-hmm. he didn't try to really sleep. But I mean, he when she finally, you know, confessed how she felt, he was into it. But like she was immediately using him mm-hmm. like I don't know. So that's why I'm like, is it inappropriate? Like she's legal and she made the choice and it's not like he had really I mean, he has age over her. But like Seymour is not a person with any power. No, really no. At all. God, no. She has all the power. And it's like, you know, when we're talking about, you know, age, age difference, uh, power dynamics with age, it's like we're ignoring how many power dynamics like exist. Exactly. In oh, my God. You know, yeah. Like, They're like class the- <laughs> and gender and sexuality and like, uh, yeah, just personality, social cachet. Like there's all these ways you can hold power over another person that don't have to do with age. Our whole society is, is power dynamics. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's no relationship that's free from power dynamics. So mm-hmm. I always want to like challenge that a little bit because I'm like, well, each every relationship is going to have not because I'm fighting for like one of those people who's like, well, in Europe, you can have <laughs> sex with 15 year olds. I'm not trying to be one of those freaks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do think we should leave children alone and let children be children. But I do think that there is a point where it's like, Okay, well, like you are, you're going off to war, you're drinking alcohol, you know, there, there, this girl in this scenario had more power than Seymour did and made it, made that choice to make herself feel better and then really didn't let him affect the rest of her life at all. I'm just pretty awesome. I'm so glad that you said all of that. (laughs) uh, Yes, same. I agree with all that. Like, there's a difference why we love Seymour and we think David Cross in this movie is a dirtbag. Yes. Yes. Yes, because he is. Yeah, he's being super gross. Well, because he's pursuing a girl that he can look at and go, she's clearly young. She's clearly half of my age. And he's still going for it. And he's like hot dogging in front of his friends about it, too. Like, there's there's big differences. Yes. Either. Like, they're making fun of. And how many, oh my God, how many times did you interact with people you didn't want to interact with and give them a fake name? Oh, yeah. Oh, my (laughs) God. I give people fake phone numbers all the time. Um, All the time. There was Mine was dude. Rita. So many men have <laughs> have met Rita that she's never calling you. I'm sorry. My oh. default fake phone number was <laughs> a rallies. <laughs> God, rallies is like such a it's like such an insult on its own. <laughs> uh, I think it's, I I like rallies. I used to ride my bike past that place, and th- they didn't give a shit if you rode your bike up to the drive-through window three. No. And they really could not care less. But that rallies was my fake phone number when I when I needed to give uh, people one. They did not care if you were on a bike or walked up, but they really care if you swore. Oh yeah. <laughs> one time, my friend and I were talking all day about how we were going to get a milkshake and the curly fries or waffle fries. I don't remember which kind they are. They have really good fries. They've got those seasoned fries. Yeah. The seasoned fries. Yeah. yeah. And so like we, you know, got in my, uh, we got in my station wagon after school, smoked a joint on our way to rallies. And then we were just like milkshake fries. We were so excited, you know, and we get there waiting in a long line after school. And then we order where I'm like, I'm like giant milkshake, giant fries. And they're like, our milkshake machine is down. And I was like, motherfucker. I was so upset. And there was this pause. And then I hear, please leave the line now, (laughs) ma'am. This isn't a Chick-fil-A. Calm down. I know. I was like, no, I'm sorry. I'm not mad at you. I just was really looking forward to a milkshake. And they're like, leave the line. And I was like, but your French fries. (laughs) So I basically got thrown out of a rally's (laughs) drive-thru. So where's the weird owl guy? Oh, there he is back there. I can see his hair bobbing up and down. 
I want to make love to him. <laughs> I'm going to tell him you said that. So nice to see you again, ladies. Hi, Weird Al. My friend here has... Shut up! Show. She says she wants... Shut to up! Speaking of food, don't you love how much like hanging out at restaurants like cafes and restaurants and the 7-Eleven like the the hang them hanging out in this movie made me feel so nostalgic for having no responsibilities mm -hmm. and just walking around town. Yeah. Like they go from a cafe to another cafe. I it was love really cool that. when you could just loiter places. Yeah, like, now especially everything Especially like very lazy like time period appropriate 50s diners. <laughs> yeah, I just yes. I loved being able to just hang out at diners. My favorite thing in the world is and it no longer exists, rest its soul. The Miraz Diner in Kenosha, Wisconsin was my favorite place in the world because it was one of the few places that had like a little indoor smoking section um, way yes. later than most states did. And I never smoked, but I liked hanging out with the smokers. And Same. so we would go in there and huh. we would just like mainline coffee and French fries. And they had this hot chocolate that was just like liquid fudge in a cup. It was so fucking good. <laughs> and we would just hang out in there. And so then it would be all these like punk asshole teenagers smoking cigarettes and then like the oldest man you've ever met in your life and we're all just having the best time together like it was so much fun and like that doesn't exist anymore that place does not exist I think Mraz is now like a place where you buy like car parts and tires and I'm so sad no. about it but like not to be all like kids today but it is a real thing that lo like loitering laws have become so strict that so many places they have like time limits or like you can't hang out at this Denny's unless you buy yeah. a full meal. So like there is an art of like kids going to, I think they call them like third location or third spaces is the name mm -hmm. for like the place you go that's not your house and not like work or school. It's yeah. so much harder to just like be there and be present in these places now without it costing a lot of money. Like there's, yes. you can't just buy coffee and French fries anymore. Now you have to also get chicken fingers. And like sometimes when you're 17 years old, you don't have that money. You only have the quarters that you can put at the end of the table for the waitress and say, I'm so sorry. Can I please have a Diet Coke? <laughs> well, also the cost of inflation. I know. Just everything's more so in expensive. general. And like so, Los Angeles, I can get a burger and the fries don't even come with with it. It's like $4 more for fries. Yeah, what the fuck oh, is yeah, that about? They come in like a weird little cup instead of like all littered to yeah. the yes. sandwich. Yeah, I don't know understand what teenagers in Los Angeles do. I don't like either. Where they can hang out and be like safe and bad for their mm -hmm. age, you know, like yeah. I don't know, kids need to be bad. Like <laughs> let them be reckless little shits like we were. Well, yeah. Like there's, yeah, we need to like, and Enid's doing like some arguably like reckless stuff in here. I mean, for, for us, we're like, eh, this is fine. But I think for like some like younger people, like they're horrified when they hear some of the stories about things we did as teenagers, because like that world just doesn't exist for them anymore. So they can't even mm. wrap their head around it, which is why like there's always, you know, it's trending every other couple days of like, you know, teens today hate sex scenes in movies. And it's like, well, half of them live at have like always been at home and are going to continue being at home. They don't want to watch sex scenes around their parents, but also everything that they do in their life has been under surveillance at any given moment. So yeah. if they wanted to like have a weirdo fling with a 40 year old that they met, you know, because they pranked him um, and then went to a garage <laughs> sale, um, 
someone probably knows and is going to talk about it and is going to be like, yeah. hey, um, am I the asshole? Uh, I told my friend's parents that she was fucking a 40-year-old man who looks like Steve Buscemi. Like, <laughs> yes, like that would yeah, suck. very public. Mm-hmm. That would suck. So it's like, I can't, you know, as much as I want to be like, ah, uh, they don't know what they're missing or whatever. It's like, well, they, it's because it literally doesn't exist. Like they're not missing it because they're not pursuing it. It just doesn't exist. And that makes me very, very sad because I want to, like, it's a rite of passage to be a reckless asshole. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Yeah, exactly. And, and it might be a thing that like uh, back in Illyria, you know, it looks pretty much the same. I don't know if you feel that way, Harmony, about Lorraine County like it's a not lot changed, changed a lot oh yeah it, it looks pretty much the same if not more poor than when I lived there mm-hmm. <laughs> um and it's like yeah in the city I don't know how kids can do anything at all but I think kids are probably still like drinking on country roads in their pickup trucks in rural Ohio oh yeah definitely. yeah that's definitely still happening like specific <laughs> locations that I love so much from growing up don't exist anymore but like the mm-hmm. general topography is basically the same yeah but but you know that's interesting about like yeah because we hung out at Denny's and Steak and Shake and oh my god the Regal Cinemas in Sheffield Village uh-huh. I got fingered in that parking lot so many times <laughs> and now I'm like I don't know can you still finger somebody in a parking lot like only a, if you don't get child? caught yeah well that's the thing it seems like everything is like like you were saying so surveilled all the mm-hmm. time and it's like Okay, and people are always looking to video, you know, to, to like take video of each other and things like that. And I'm like, God, my friends and I were always like having sex, like my friend in the front seat and I'm in the back seat with like different people. <laughs> like, you know, because there was, you didn't have a home to have sex in. So it's like, we're always going to like share the same car. <laughs> no, like that's, and that's such a thing though. <laughs> like there's some yeah. stuff that like I think, like I think about that I've done either in proximity or in like direct proximity uh, with my friends. And I'm like, this would horrify people today. Like, (laughs) and now it's like, yeah, we try to like take picture of like, oh my God, I got a picture of your butt. Ha ha ha. Like on our fucking, you know, digital camera Mm -hmm. or whatever. But like now I'm like, what would stop? We would film each other having sex to to fuck with each other. You know, Mm -hmm. like I could totally see like busting in to somebody's room when I knew that they were like upstairs at a party and like filming them. Like, I don't know. I guess there are ways to be even more reckless. <laughs> it's just a lot of it involves um, the internet in like a very disturbing way. Yeah, I feel like there is a random photo bucket account that neither me or my friend will ever be able to log into because I doubt we know what the screen name is. We certainly don't know what the password is. Um, the age on it for like login, like what's your birthday? It probably, we probably said we were born in like 1925 or something like randomly (laughs) scrolled and picked something that I'm sure is filled with like the most obscene photos of us that we took for like, as like for the lulls and we're like, we'll just put it on this photo bucket and then we'll save it forever. And it's gone now. Like it's gone forever. (laughs) For the best. Oh yeah. We had an angel fire website where we like kept track of everything that we were doing. It was like our friend website because we met these guys at a neighboring high school that had a website just for their group of friends and we're like we have to have one for our group of friends and so we like kept track of everything we were doing on there but you know like before search engines there you can just find there was no way to find anything it was Mm -hmm. angel fire you had to know like the exact like 
100 character mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah we website. used uh hometown.aol like aol used to make it so that you could use your like aim account and have like a random homepage. and so we used to do that all the time it'd be like here's my homepage. here's all my friends here's where i go to school you know just like a kidnapper guidebook basically but like it wasn't <laughs> yeah. that's not what it was back then it was just like oh this is cute and we would like share our little hometown.aol pages with people so like not only would you have a screen name but it's like now i know what music you like and now I know what you know to what movies that you're into great perfect it was yeah it just but that again like that world just doesn't exist now like you can have like social media pages you can have you know whatever whatever but like it's all searchable it's all tra- traceable um it's, it can spread way faster than you've ever intended it things leave your neighborhood online so much faster and easier than it ever did before and then it becomes global whether you wanted it to or not and that sucks and is really scary because mm-hmm. now when you're a reckless asshole when you're 19 it isn't like a funny inside joke that you and your friends have now like literally anyone that you interact with for the rest of your life can find out about it and that sucks yes. <laughs> yeah it could be online and then you have adults commenting on it too you know that's the thing that I think is really weird sometimes on Twitter you have to like remind yourself that you're like oh this person is like 10 to 15 years younger than me and it's totally fine if they don't understand this film mm-hmm. and I don't need to like talk to that. I don't need to engage this person at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is how I feel about like when there are young people talking about not wanting to see sex in movies because I'm like what they want is nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. Like, I I just and has has a nothing gen- to do with cinema. Yeah, I have a general rule. I'm like I'm not arguing with children. Mhm. Yeah, whether, yeah. Whether it's a literal number or a in some cases it's just like I perceive you as a child. You're like 25, you don't act like it. <laughs> Well, right. And it's like I you can ask for my opinion and we can talk about things like I talk to young people all the time at the store and I have like plenty of teenagers who that's that's the thing. Like I interact with teenagers and like people in their early 20s all the time at the video store and they do want to see weird shit. Mm-hmm. You know, you just have to they find don't... the weird. like the weirdos still exist. Yes, that is true. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, OK, well, they've been bombarded with even more abstinence education than we have. They also grew up during like the Me Too movement and they've seen like nothing but like how like uh, how rape culture has like seeped into every aspect mm-hmm. of your being, mm-hmm. no matter what your gender is and how it like affects all genders and like how easily it is to be like violated. And so. In a way, it's like they're hyper aware of things that like we weren't and perhaps they'll be in better situations because of that. And I understand how that hyper awareness is making all sex feel a little dangerous. Mm -hmm. And I don't like that. I think we need to focus on that. Like, how can we make sex be something that is interesting and exciting to them on their level for their people, you know, not for us to engage with them about, (laughs) but like... But, like, yeah, teenagers should want to have sex with each other if, you know, they're not um, asexual. Mm-hmm. They should. It's, like, very normal to to want that. And you should be turned on by, like, movies with sex in them. But I understand why it feels a little weird mm-hmm. after hearing that a lot of these movies, the girls were, like, forced into some of these roles against mm-hmm. their will. Why would you want to watch that if you know that? We didn't know that. Mm-hmm. You know? No, you're totally right. And that's something that I also find so relieving and, you know, exciting about this movie is because like Thora Birch speaks so positively about this movie and how 
how much it means to her to see that sh- there are still like generations of Enids that love this movie. And mm-hmm. there was a, um, a screening she did uh, for the anniversary, I think so in 2021, something around there. Um, they, they had her out there and she like looks at it like in the audience and she's talking about seeing so many different girls that are dressed as Enid, but no one is like, there's little groups of like same Enids. Like this is green haired Enid and this is grandma dress Enid. (laughs) And this is, you know, you know, latex bat mask Enid and how they're just like, she speaks to so many different people and she still sees them. And she's like, it means so much to me that, you know, this character that I played continues to resonate with so many people because I loved this character. She got the script and was like, this is the role that I've been looking for. So she was so on board to do everything in this movie. And that includes- Yeah, she cut her hair, cut and dyed her yeah, hair. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, and I love that. And that does include, you know, the relationship with Seymour. Like she was like, no, I believe in it and I get it. And I think that that's like it, that reads, like you can just feel that when you watch this. Like I, I just get the character. I, I feel that connection and it makes me very, very happy to see it's, it's just lovely. Like this movie is so wonderful. Mm-hmm. And of course, I mean, just the general blanket statement of like anything from the two thousands. Yes. There's a lot of ableism. The R word is thrown around very casually. That's the way that it was commonplace that people spoke about it. We're not going to be ahistorical and judge people through a 2023 lens. But like mm-hmm. even the way that she says, like even the way her ableism comes out, some of it is genuinely really funny. Like when she talks about the, yeah. girl, the, the girl speaking at graduation, it's like I liked oh her better God. when she was on drugs. She's gotten one car accident and now she's so perfect. It's like I, that shit's hilarious. It's so relatable though. <laughs> like I feel... Oh. I love, I would be interesting to see them more in school. I mean, obviously we get to see her in art class, but I just, that, just the first time I watched it and it's starting like at school for them, it just hooked me immediately because there was not a place that I felt more lonely or isolated than junior high and high school. Mm-hmm. And just to be like, I thought the teachers were morons. I thought my classmates were morons. Like every now and then, you know, I had my friends in the theater program, but then I thought that person who ran the theater program was dumb too like and there was a couple of interesting teachers but for the most part I just felt like everybody around me sucked so but but that's everyone was like these are the best years of your life you know and like and of course like 9-11 happened when I was in high school and everybody was like we gotta stick together and everybody just got super racist and like Mm -hmm. it was just I just felt like I was in a world like trapped behind the mirror, like Alice through the looking glass, where I was like, I don't understand what life you guys are all living. I'm over here doing a Mm -hmm. totally different thing. And to see that finally confirmed in a movie, like there was nothing. No one had ever confirmed that for me ever, except for maybe Shirley Jackson. You know, I get the same feeling reading Shirley Jackson's work of like, yeah, the townspeople are cruel. And they don't like you, even though they're the ones who are wrong. <laughs> oh, love a Shirley Jackson reference. <laughs> love She's, so yeah, my favorite. Also, because she very much understood like the banal cruelty of everyday society, mm-hmm. which I think this film does, too. And there was um, uh, Daniel Close, who wrote the, uh, you know, the graphic novel that this is based on, um, says early on in the um, the the commentary for the the Criterion Blu-ray, he says that the world that they live in is one where no one cares and everything is ugly and repellent. And I wrote that down because I was like, oh, wow, that is on my worst days. 
when I can't see the goodness in society, that's how I feel. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. and I just think they captured that so well through set design, through uh, background walk-on characters, um, through the costuming, through the writing, through all the little societal uh, commentary, you know, at the video store and on the television and at the club, like everywhere. There's all this like great social commentary that's in the background, but it creates the tone for the entire film. It's it's really impressive how um, just even, you know what I mean? How successful this film is at creating and maintaining a tone and like a, a point of view. Mm-hmm. And I love that you brought up like just like the, like the scattered bits of people that we have in here. Because, like, mm-hmm. Dave Sheridan as Doug, like, that is, to me, the <laughs> most, like, this sets the tone of the movie for me, where you have guy with mullet, thinks he's really cool, has his oh. own name on his shirt, also has nunchucks, takes a shirt off, shockingly ripped. Like, like <laughs> it's all of those very specific elements, like, condensed into one person, where it's like, nope, I got it. Like, here we are. This is everything. <laughs> so much so. I have so. to tell you. I eat, I say I'm hungry enough to eat the crotch out of a rag doll like multiple <laughs> times a week. Like that's I love him so much. That character is so funny. I also when the store manager is like, we Greeks invented democracy and through like meat chokes, he's like, Yeah, you also invented homos. <laughs> it's so funny. I love it so much. It's incredible. Okay, the gay jokes in this movie are fantastic. Like oh, all of so them are good. great. Oh, they're all. They're I stand all marvelous. by them. Yeah, I'm like, well, you got me there. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you're gonna be rude, be accurate, and this movie is accurate. Uh huh. Yeah. And this movie is like pre bisexual, like where mm-hmm. you know Carrie Bradshaw is still telling the world that bisexuals don't exist. So I honestly think that both of these women are bisexual. I agree. Like, they're a couple. Yeah, like because my my two like best friends who uh, I had this type of relationship with, like one of that, like both of them, I basically also like dated and hooked up with and spent lots of intimate time with as well. So I'm like, yeah, because we, you know, you get to see our our lives continue past 2001. But at Y2K times, as a child, you couldn't be out and gay and unless you were like very very gay in a specific way mm-hmm. like harmony you nailed it with the gay best friend to the preppy crowd i oh, laughed when you said that because <laughs> my mind i was like oh my god right dallas i forgot about that guy <laughs> like, i was like oh there's like exactly the person i know that you're talking about oh, yeah. but like yeah if you were just like kind of like weird and and liked everybody there was absolutely no there was nothing oh yeah they, nothing for you there were i think <laughs> two out gay guys when I graduated high school. Uh, I think there was three. At at its grand total during my time in high school, there was three. Um, <laughs> I was out as something. It, I wasn't specifying. People were really insistent on trying to put a label. I was like, eh, I mean, you know, don't knock it till you try it. But um, one of those guys, like, they, were, they both were, like, the catty gay guys. But, like, the girls were like, oh, my God, let's give him our boyfriend's phone number so he can harass them for their penises. That's so chic. That's so much fun. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh my you're God. so wild. <laughs> and, like, that was that was how gayness was in the 2000s. That's, that's, oh, that's, yeah. how we tre- that's how straight women treated gayness in the 2000s. It was yeah, a very monstrous much like- thing. <laughs> 
I get to make out with you to please your boyfriend, fine with me as long as I get to make out with you. Yeah. Like, I think you had to take like the Girls Gone Wild card as much as you could just for like the opportunity to like kiss and be with another girl. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of photos from a digital camera like my freshman year of college where I'm just like, oh, your boyfriend thinks it's hot when you kiss girls. I mean, I guess. Whatever he wants, it's totally for him. Meanwhile, it's like, I'm going to tape this underneath the loft bed in my dorm room. Look at it all the time. Oh, my God, I'm going to pass out, PJ. So ridiculous. Oh, God. You're just going to sleep staring at this face. I I am just now thinking that my, like, voyeurism, exhibitionism sort of fetish I'm realizing has maybe come from years of being watched making out with other girls. Like, yeah, <laughs> that makes like, sense. like, wait a second. Did that, did they, did they hone that? Did Girls Gone Wild culture hone exhibitionism in me as a teenager? (laughs) Did staying up late to catch the commercials at three in the morning on Comedy Central, did that rewire my brain? It definitely rewired our brains because if I hear a steel drum within any distance of me, I'm like, oh my God, boobs! Where are the boobs? Oh my it's just God. like a drum circle in the park. And I'm like, ah, so disappointed. <laughs> but yeah, I think canonically Enid and Rebecca are definitely bisexual in the least, the very least. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're soulmates. So they, yeah, mm-hmm. there's something Oh, my there. God. When Rebecca puts the, iron board, the ironing board down and she goes, how cool is this? I'm like, that is... That that I oh I feel really God. seen in that moment, because <laughs> yeah. like I get really excited about really tiny things like that. That just I'm like, look at my new toaster. Well, it's like yes. and like I think we I think we reach a certain age in our adulthood where we get really stoked about like new appliances and stuff like that. But like no, I was really jazzed about that shit when I was like 18. I was like, look, my apartment has a clawfoot tub. Yes, yes, exactly. It just strikes me as just like so. Femi to me, like I'm gonna get really into like girly things. Uh-huh. I'm gonna be really over the top housewifey, but like as a comment on society. <laughs> One of the like the most joyous faces I've ever seen Harmony make is when she discovered we had a pocket door in our apartment that we got a landlord special. They just like painted over it and it was trapped in there. When Harmony realized that she could get the the pocket door out and we could have a pocket door, like the look on her face was like child receiving Nintendo sixty four for Christmas, like <laughs> the just lit up. Yes. I was like, oh, we got a sliding door, and that's BJ, the joy. Uh, it's so useful. I know we're I'm using cur- it right now. I'm behind two doors currently, so you can't hear me yelling about things. And it's really nice for keeping the cool air in during the summer. Look at how useful yeah. that is. <laughs> we also have a pocket door, and it's a really big part of my personality. Yeah. <laughs> like, when people come over, I'm like, come look at our pocket door. <laughs> it is pretty great. And like, we have two built-ins and one pocket door. And look at the original brass plating on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you need to have something to get you through the days. <laughs> This is us being weirdos in adulthood. We're like trying to maintain our Enid, but like we have to have our Rebecca and we have to have our Seymour. I think they're like the great triad, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. of like um, weirdo life at like different stages. You're all of these characters. I think you just achieve like in order to like achieve balance in life, it must be a perfect triangle. It can't get like 
too too <laughs> obtuse because then you are neglecting one of the corners. It must be perfect and even. <laughs> yeah, that is Zen. Exactly. Uh, you know who else I love that we haven't talked about at all? R.I.P. Brad Renfro's oh, character. Josh. I love Josh. Like we, my best friend and I also love to bully boys like this. So did me and my best this, friend. <laughs> yes. We had this guy, Brett Finnegan, that we'd always be like, take us here. He had his license before we did. And we were always making him drive us around and just being like really obnoxious all the time. And he, when we were like, you love it. Ha, 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 ha. Like, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, they kind of have a crush on you. So you're going to like utilize that. Uh, evil. Yo, this I, is I was, so real. I was kind of this boy. I didn't have a crush on those kinds of girls, but I was just like. Cool, people want to hang out with me. And also, it's kind of neat when girls are mean to me. Haven't quite unpacked that one yet. <laughs> you learned. It's okay. You learned. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I do have, like, never grown out of being mean to boys. I'm like, wait, this is another thing I really enjoy in all areas of life. <laughs> it's really interesting that, like, I don't feel like I've changed that much when I watch this movie. Like, yes, I was Enid and now I feel more Seymour. But as we just said, like, I do feel like all three of those characters and they feel present in me, even though I know I'm not that teenager anymore. I, mm-hmm. She's in me. She's still there in a way that she doesn't feel far away or like, oh, like baby Luce. Like, I don't know. I don't really feel that way. It's like I feel like Luce at all times of my life at all times. If does that make sense? No, like, that makes I feel like total right sense. now I'm like the woman in her late thirties and also like the woman like uh chugging from a keg in college and then also like the girl being dri- bullying boys to drive me around town. Like I'm all those things are happening in me right now. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's so real. <laughs> like because I'm like just sitting here thinking about it. And it's like and I feel like I fluctuate between all three of them at any given moment like earlier today I was geeking out about something that I learned about the TV series MASH and I was so excited (laughs) to talk about like you know a show that my grandpa was super into and then at the same time was like swearing about capitalism and my corporate bosses and then at the Mm -hmm. same time was just like I really need to you know tidy up this living room like it it's becoming a disaster I'm like who am I oh it's because I'm all three of them at any given moment <laughs> depending on my mood <laughs> yeah yeah you're right and I think that that's like I think the problem comes from this uh, idea that is actually sort of young that we're supposed to be a certain way mm-hmm. and that there's only one way to be successful and that you know the the world will only accept you in one way because you know we've all it sounds like all three of us have had moments of like giving in a little bit thinking that like maybe that would help us survive mm-hmm. And what I've learned, and I'm sure you can agree, but correct me if I'm wrong, that actually buying in does not help you survive. It sure doesn't. You become more oppressed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, It does not help. The only way to get success is to have rich parents. (laughs) (laughs) So it doesn't matter what we do. We can do whatever we want. We'll be as as unsuccessful as always. We need to hang out more because I'm constantly complaining about how I don't have any poor friends. And by that, I mean like people who grew up. Uh, with a low income. I yeah. was talking about this today with a friend where I was like, I have realized in my age that I can't fuck with people unless they can make an educated decision on their favorite, like, knockoff Dr. Pepper flavor. Like, that is the, <laughs> like, that is like, if you cannot tell me the difference between, like, a Dr. Thunder and a Dr. K, I don't know how to relate to you. Like, 
Oh, my God. Well, I wasn't allowed to have pop, and also my parents didn't want to spend money on pop, so hopefully that helps me. That earns me a little It definitely does. I loved water. I mostly drank water and milk. (laughs) Just, like, they're, like, very specific, like, poor kid things where it's like, do you know how the microwave changes the taste of things? Let's discuss. Mm -hmm. Do you have a preference of, like, character shape or regular shaped noodles from boxed mac and cheese? Discuss. Uh Like, if you can't, (laughs) if people can't tell me, like, a thought on that, I'm like, hmm, you might be a little bit too fancy for me. Oh, truly. (laughs) We didn't have a microwave or cable television. Uh, Which is beautiful. Like, no, we'll cook things in a pan. (laughs) Like, like you're you're meant to. We're not going to buy expensive microwaved meals. Oh, my God. All I wanted were Lunchables so badly. And they're like, this is too expensive. I'll just buy you deli meat. I'm like, I don't want deli meat like that. I want it in the plastic case. That's exactly what I thought. I was like, I want Lunchables. But my mom was like, you're too big for Lunchables. You'll be still be hungry. And, and now I never got Lunchables. And now I'm like, I don't need these. But Beauty's Harmony, like, I'm going to eat Lunchables once a week. I was like, and Harmony can attest to this. When I am in like especially like negative brain space, like I really need to fix some things, I re- like regress immediately. And like one of the first things I do is I will buy a Lunchable and I'm like, all right, I'm good now. I, I'm back to feeling like... <laughs> wait, 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 BJ, you're telling me right now that you still buy a Lunchable? All the time. Recreationally, I, I buy Lunchables all, all the time. time. Oh my God, recreational Lunchables is like my new favorite phrase. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like a little treat. It like, it's just... Yeah. It's like I'm not eating it as an actual meal. I am an adult. Of course. But it's no, like... No, but honestly, I didn't know they still made that. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. They still make them. And they come in they different so packaging It's now. just like, there's just like such a very oh, specific okay, taste. And like, honestly, when people are like, you eat those, I'm like, you eat charcuterie boards. It's the same fucking thing. It's the same thing. It's a plastic charcuterie board. Uh-huh. That's I didn't have to take the time to put together. Exactly. See. Like, we went to a wedding and they had a charcuterie tree, which was actually kind of amazing, um, where it was like a, like a Christmas tree, but it was like little sticks of cheese and, and meat. And it, they, the way you place the cheese makes it look like it's garland. It was incredible. I was like, that's I, very clever. I was like, I can't believe I've gone my entire life not just having charcuterie trees because that is, that is some snacky bullshit that I like. Uh, what can you tell us about this piece? Enid. Enid. Well, it's um, kind of a, a diary, I guess. Colorful. Hmm. Ah. I think that Philip and Enid can help us to see that there are many different ways we can express ourselves. We can do things like these cartoons that are amusing as a sort of a light entertainment, or we can do work that is more serious in scope and feeling and that deals with issues, emotional, spiritual, political, of great importance. Who is responsible for this? I am. Talk to us about it. It's my response to the issue of a woman's right to choose. Mm -hmm. It's something I feel super strongly about. (sighs) Isn't this a wonderful peace class? This definitely falls into that higher category of art I was speaking of earlier. 
I love when Enid says, I don't think just because you get an F, you need to retake the whole class. <laughs> okay, here's the thing. No, she's right about that. Like, she's right. <laughs> she's 100% right about that. I had this conversation, because I used to teach, and I've had this conversation with people before about how I think that giving out zeros um, for, like, incomplete assignments or something is ridiculous because zeros are way more powerful than 100s um, when you're grading something because a zero turns a 100 into 250s. So that zero turns a perfect score into two failing grades. And I think that that's bullshit. Um, So I never did that. And some of my other teacher friends were like, that seems ridiculous. And I'm like, watch how many kids I have fail. It's going to be none. I'm not going to have kids fail at the end of the year because of that. No. <laughs> yes, it's crazy. Teachers do not realize how much power that they hold. And they just, I think that like there is an, as there's like people who get into teaching because they really love, they love to learn and they, they want to teach, they want to help kids learn and they really love the subject matter. And I think there's people who get into it because they care about community and they want to be a part of a community. But I think that more than any other type, People get into teaching to lord power over children. Oh, yeah, totally. Oh, that's definitely they're the most, like, disempowered group of people. Oh, yeah. They have no rights. Teachers like students, but only if they're students that they like. There's, yes. there's also been a big push recently on TikTok of people talking about, like, the meanest girl that you know is now a nurse. <laughs> yes, or a kindergarten <laughs> or teacher. Or a kindergarten teacher. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so funny. Yeah, I... Yes, I have also I have also seen that. And I just don't understand how this happens. You'll see people being like, I just love working with my patients. And I'm like, you told me you were going to cut me with a knife. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, technically, that's what she might be doing now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now she's just she's she's just been able to target that into a job. So you know what? Good for her. She needed an outlet. We're all just making our way through capitalism, right? Isn't that just what Enid's trying to do? That's true. (laughs) Who can say who's worse? (laughs) Um, Okay, so I have recently realized that there are people who read the ending as um, uh, Enid killing herself, which is never how I read it. I always thought that the ending was very hopeful. Mm -hmm. Did you two have a reading on that ending? I saw her as hopeful. However, when the old man, uh, Norman, gets taken away, I made a joke of like, Oh no, he just got picked up by the 32 bus to go cross the river sticks. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've heard is that people think that because the old man gets picked up that that's like the bus's death. But I'm but then I'm like a bus is a car though in American symbolism is freedom, mm-hmm. liberation. Yeah. I think the I don't know, you don't me, drive the bus. To me the bus was like was always <laughs> like destiny. True. So like for Norman it is like he's going away like he's been sitting there for a little too long he's just been waiting for his time but for Enid like it's to it's to escape it's to do the big fantasy that she's always had of just not telling anyone and just fucking off Mm -hmm. and that bus is allowing her to fulfill that destiny Mm -hmm. that's how I view it so it's always been hopeful for me I, I came around on it for her one, but I definitely made a joke when it was an isolated incident. Definitely. No, it's just really funny that you like had that, you read that immediately. Um, well, I was listening to the commentary on the Blu-ray and they're saying, oh no, that's not what our intention was at all. So I was like, well, that makes me feel better. Obviously, once the art leaves the artist's hands, it doesn't belong to them anymore, mm-hmm. but... I do appreciate knowing that wasn't their intention because when I heard that earlier this year, my friend was like, oh, yeah, she definitely kills herself. I was like, oh, 
no, you're ruining this movie for me. She can't kill herself because she's me. Like, <laughs> I'm out in these streets still. <laughs> and, Enid, and that's the thing. Enid is out in these streets because Enid is mm-hmm. all of us and we are all Enid. Like, that is how um, I view about her. <sighs> I love this movie so much. It. It's, I I know you know they used a hard R, but like other than that, I think this movie is timeless. Mm-hmm. Like it does. This is what being a teenager is like. And yes, it's probably a little different with technology, but like teenagers get bored and they create their own fun and they tell their own stories and they have their own little private worlds that only they understand. Like that's not going to change, mm-hmm. regardless of like technological pursuits, you know? Yeah. And I think that it's really impressive that two men told this story as as well as they did in a way that like I don't know I haven't seen another movie that I'm like wow they really got girlhood mm-hmm. as good because a lot of movies about teen girls are about a different type of girl than I was and so I, I there's aspects to it that I like like there's things I liked about Booksmart but like I wasn't those girls so I didn't really connect to that story very much um but I think there's an interesting detail that like Terry Zwigoff's wife he wanted to do a a Daniel Close book story, but it was his wife that was like pushed him to do Ghost World. So oh, there was a, a woman that. in the background being like, do this. It kind of reminded me of how, um, you know, Stephen King threw his draft of Carrie in the trash and his wife, Tabitha, is the one who pulled it out and was like, this is good. You have to finish this novel. Mm-hmm. Like, you need to do this. It's like these men being kind of interested but like I don't know if I'm going to tell a story about a girl and then like the women in their lives being like yes do it (laughs) Mm -hmm. this is so interesting too because last week we did Little Women and you know you have the thing of Joe trying to write what she thinks is going to be like the genre stuff that men are interested in and then the man was like no 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 write about girls like you should write about girls that's what you need to do and then that's like the big book for her is writing about girls so there's look at that little connection we made from last week to this week I mean even just like me being like 13 years old and seeing this movie and Pieces of April, which I still know nothing about other than apparently it's a Thanksgiving movie, um, and looking at those going, it's just okay. Okay, well, I'm I'm glad that I haven't been holding my breath for the last 20 years. Yeah, it's <laughs> Ghost World. But like, I was watching, I I just saw these covers and went, I want to rent that, but then I didn't because you know I can't be interested in girl stories. What will people think? Oh well, <laughs> you know what. It turns out you're gay. Oh, yeah. Turns out there's a lot. Oh, God. I'm just a girl myself. And now I talk about girl stories all the time. You might have... were right. So uh-huh. you have our pill to swallow, right? You looking at pictures of like cool alt girls. Maybe if you would have watched this, you could have figured some things out a little sooner. Yeah, probably not. Literally, but, you know. the gay experience is do I want to be her? Do I want to have sex with her? Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a wonderful Boy Junior song about that that came out just recently. Oh, I have not heard it. I got to check it out. You should. I like Boy it's Junior. It's something I, it, it is a philosophy that never gets old. I'm like, yep, I experience this constantly. <laughs> I'm beset with this. And, you know, Harmony, it's been over 20 years, but the question remains, Ghost World is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe, or are you buying them a ticket so they can go on their own? You know, this this is not a slight against the movies we've been doing recently, but we've been doing a lot of period pieces. 
which is just not your jam. <laughs> it's it. I'm glad that we're back to something a little more contemporary and a bit more hard edge. Uh, th- th- this speaks my language quite a bit more, and I really enjoyed this and intend on rewatching this. You know, re- frequently. I, I I would not say that I love this as much as something like Dinner in America, but it fits in a very very similar place in my soul. Good. Oh, that makes me so happy. I'm glad that you love this movie <laughs> because mm-hmm. I was like sitting there watching and I was like, I should just get Enid tattooed on my body. Like I really should well, at this point. <laughs> would you go with the Danny Close uh, version of her or the Thora Burch? See, that's uh, the that's portrait. the question. Is like I could do like the the graphic novel version because I'm gonna do a leg of animation tattoos and like she would fit in nicely there. I'd probably oh, like put her with like Ramona Flowers and they can be like oh. the girls I've been compared to throughout my entire life and like they can be so together. Cute. I uh, love that. I think that's probably what I'm gonna do is like a Ramona Enid thing and just be like, here they are. Here's my girls. <laughs> I carry them with me. I carry them with me in more than just my hair. I think I'm gonna get just like a like a print a uh, font tattoo that says "Mirror Father Mirror" <laughs> as my Ghost World reference, and as like a DIY filmmaker is like I just feel like I need to own up to the part of me that's also a little bit of the Ileana Douglas character. <laughs> oh, just incredible. Well, Luce, thank you so much for joining us to talk about Ghost World. This has been such a wonderful conversation. And it has been. We should hang been. out. Uh, yes. Yeah, my God. actually, like, I know BJ and I have talked about that since y'all moved here because I was like, yes, from Cleveland to LA, just like me. And then we just talk online instead, which is also <laughs> nice. I don't begrudge that. But yes, please, let's hang out. I'm, I really can't say enough wonderful things about your show Aww. and, you know, your criticism, your film writing and everything. I just, I love it. Thank you for honoring all the weird girls and all of our culture that's been denied for the last 20 years. Aww. It's really... It's an important show, and I'm glad that it exists, and I'm really just so grateful to get to now be a tiny part of it with the greatest movie of all time. That is so nice. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I really mean it. It's important, and you're really, like, helping to legitimize work that has already been legitimate to so many of us, Mm -hmm. but so many of us had to grow up hearing how bad these films were. You know, and it, it's hard to, and you internalize that your whole life. Mm-hmm. And then as somebody who's finally becoming a filmmaker in her 30s, I didn't think I could make movies because I wanted to make movies about girls. Mm-hmm. And I heard all that stuff was stupid, you know. So, yeah, you're I'm sure you already have a young audience, but like young people are going to like find you and cherish you. And like it's going to be very important to a lot of people. And I'm sure it already is. So thank you for making this show. Well, thank you. And you make so many wonderful and incredible things. Where can our listeners find everything that you do? Yes. So you can follow my personal accounts on Instagram and Twitter at LTB Comedy. Those are my initials. And then my year-round Halloween history podcast, It's Always Halloween, is everywhere you find podcasts. And you can also find it on Instagram at It's Always Halloween Podcast. And then I make films with a queer feminist uh, film collective called Too Much. And we're on Instagram at Too Much Productions. And my film that uh, just released this year is doing festivals. It's called Surprise, and it's a satire of girl boss, you know, toxic positivity culture. 
<laughs> so um, we just won an award for best female driven film. Yay! So speaking of women in film, uh, that was very exciting. Uh, and yeah, we're doing festivals right now. So I only have a private link to it, but I'm happy to send it you guys' way. And if anybody does want to see it um, and isn't able to make it to a festival, I'm happy to send a private link and then hopefully I'll get it up online when the festival circuit ends, you know, mm -hmm. next year or so. Amazing. Well, every yeah, everyone, please, please, please follow because you're also just really hilarious as a person too. So it's oh, <laughs> so even even if it's, you're yeah. just like I don't actually care about film. Well, she's funny. So there you go. Yeah. Well, and you know what? I manage Video Tech here in Los Angeles, where you can rent over forty five thousand movies on Blu Ray, four K, DVD, and even a few VHS that have never been released on any other format. We also do screenings there that I help program and present every Friday night. So. I'm always down to talk about film there. And then, yeah, if you follow me on my personal account, I always post about the shows I'm performing in as well. Amazing. So thank you so much for the hype. Of course. And thank you so much for having me on. Of course. Of course. <laughs> and as always, to our listeners, you can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky, at The Sense at Prom. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky, TikTok, at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor or on Blue Sky at Harmony Colangelo. <laughs> and I've never heard you say that out loud before, and I really love that name. <laughs> and as always, thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. Harmony, what band have you chosen this week inspired by Ghost World? So obviously, like something that would have been cool to go with would have been like some sort of someone making like modern blues that sounds like delta blues but like mm -hmm. i worried that dipping too far into that category might get a little too like butt rock like that bar <laughs> band in this movie so i i went with something with the energy but in a different direction do we all remember in like the 2010s when i'm, I'm gonna say it was like an offshoot of like the folk genre people were really into brass bands for a little bit like mm -hmm. your your moon hooch your your lucky chops uh you know bands that would be really really popular at like 4 p.m. on a Friday at a festival with like 140 bands. Yes. <laughs> like you just stroll by and go, what is happening? Anyway, this is one of those, and I actually really like this band. Um, they're called the Funk Rust Brass Band. They are self-described as a 20-piece post-apocalyptic disco punk brass band. Um, they are – they're fun. They have um, an album out called Bones and Burning. It's an EP from a few years ago, but it sounds – kind of primitive by design like their vocals are recorded through like a megaphone it has a distinct like gramophone 78 kind of sound um Whoa. i also think it's like super danceable but also has like gloom and spookiness to it uh i really like this band i i, I can get really down with a brass band one of the best random shows i ever went to was uh, a band called the what cheer brigade who i don't know if they're still around anymore <laughs> but they performed at a venue i used to work at and they came marching up from like the bowling alley in the basement and then tore the house down for fewer people than were in the actual band. So, um, yeah. I love that. Committed. Absolutely. They were so much fun. Um, Funkrest is uh, still around. They actually released a remix album with like some dance stuff uh, a couple of years ago. But yeah, like they're, they're, they're making rounds in select circles. Um, they're cool. Go give them love. Beautiful. Alrighty, that takes us out on Ghost World. Thank you all for listening. And as always, save that last dance for us. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.
He just ordered a giant glass of milk. That's a vanilla milkshake. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.